Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. To hear some tell it, April 23rd, 1985 was a day that will live in marketing infamy. On that day, the Coca-Cola company took arguably the biggest risk in consumer goods history, announcing that it was changing the formula for the world's most popular soft drink. The announcement spawned consumer angst the likes no one had ever seen. The carbonated disaster meant to appeal to a younger generation quickly became a national disgrace, but most people don't know the real reason it failed. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast about a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consumed, and connected. On today's journey, I take you over the 79 days that revolutionized the soft drink industry and transformed the Coca-Cola company forever. This is the story of the brilliant disaster known as New Coke. Coca-Cola, it was a bit of a case of desperate times calling for desperate measures. For 15 years, the company had been in the midst of the cola wars against Pepsi and had been losing market share to the slightly sweeter soda. To understand how the new Coke disaster came to be, I've got to take you back almost a hundred years to 1886, when pharmacist John Pemberton first developed the soft drink. At the time it was introduced, the product contained cocaine from coca leaves and caffeine from cola nuts, which together acted as a stimulant. The two also gave the beverage its name and was promoted as a healthy tonic. He registered this French wine nerve tonic, which was its original intent, but the advent of prohibition made him forced to create a non-alcoholic version. Pemberton had been severely wounded in the American Civil War and had become addicted to the pain medication morphine. He developed the beverage as a patent medicine in an effort to control his addiction. It was sold as medicine along with carbonated water, which at the time was believed to be good for health. Its popularity grew, but it was hard to expand. Transporting this new beverage seemed impossible, and there was no way to guarantee it to have a consistent flavor. In 1889, the formula and brand were sold for $2,300, roughly $71,000 in today's money, to Asa Griggs Candler, who incorporated the Coca-Cola company in Atlanta in 1892. The company has operated a franchise distribution system since 1889. This is where bottling came in and is the advancement that helped it grow into the powerhouse it has now become. Coke was first bottled in 1894, and this was also the time that the very first advertisement was displayed. Coca-Cola and advertising go hand in hand as they created some of the most iconic commercials in history. Really, you can have it. 
along with giving us the modern iteration of Santa Claus with his red and white robes, rosy cheeks, and being more on the plump side. By 1904, the little trace amounts of cocaine left in the drink disappeared when the formula changed to using spent coca leaves that didn't cause an issue, and today they use a cocaine-free coca leaf extract. The formula is still considered a closely guarded secret. Coca-Cola is one of a handful of beverages that have been imprinted onto the human race. Some others are coffee, tea, beer, and wine. The fascinating book called A History of Mankind and Six Beverages looks at all these beverages and their significant cultural and societal impact and how they shaped human progress. Coca-Cola, for better or for worse, has had a massive impact and is available in every corner of the globe. It is one of the most recognized brands on earth and one of the most heavily advertised. You may have been in very remote parts of the world where there's nothing, not even running water or electricity, but you'll find faded signs for Coke. The dominance was clear in 1948 when Coca-Cola had claimed about 60% of its market share, but by 1984, the Coca-Cola company's market share decreased to 21.8% due to new competitors, and this is where our story really begins. Enter. Pepsi. Since 1898, when Pepsi was first created, it's been the other big cola on the market. From the 1930s through the late 1950s, it gained popularity built on the back of the introduction of 12-ounce bottles and heavily investing in advertising. Pepsi Cola Hits the Spot was the most commonly used slogan in the days of old-time radio, classic motion pictures, and the early days of television. Film actress Joan Crawford, after marrying Pepsi Cola president Alfred N. Steele, became a spokesperson for Pepsi, appearing in commercials, television specials, and televised beauty pageants on behalf of the company. Crawford also had images of the soft drink placed prominently in several of her later films. This aggressive advertising took a huge chunk out of the market. Pepsi was actually out selling Coke in supermarkets. It was only thanks to vending machines and fountain sales in fast food restaurants that Coke was staying competitive. Thankfully, high fructose corn syrup was incredibly cheap to produce, meaning manufacturers could make much larger bottles and servings without any real cost to them, and the consumers thought they were getting a bargain. The Big Gulp from 7-Eleven was introduced in the late 70s, and by the 80s was more prominent and became cheaper. But this went directly against the fitness and sugar-free craze of the decade. So, kids would have to be the target market for full sugary drinks, and Pepsi was killing Coke with that demographic. After all, who can forget the Pepsi challenge? This is the taste. This is the test. Pepsi versus Coke. The Pepsi challenge. Pepsi. And all across America, more people pick Pepsi. Pepsi. Time Pepsi. after time after time. Pepsi Cola. Originally, the marketing campaign, which had been going on since 1975, looked like a single blind taste test. 
At malls, shopping centers, and other public locations, a Pepsi representative set up a table with two white cups, one containing Pepsi and one with Coca-Cola. Shoppers were encouraged to taste both colas and then select which drink they preferred. The representatives then reveals the two bottles so the taster can see whether they preferred Coke or Pepsi. More often than not, the test result would show that Pepsi was preferred by more Americans. So now Coke was not only aware they were getting killed by the competition, but thanks to the fitness craze, people also wanted more diet and non-cola soft drinks. Diet Coke had launched in 1982, and this was great, but Coca-Cola felt they needed better control of the full cola market. To do that, they started to work on a new formula in the early 80s and called it Project Kansas. The focus was to create a sweeter version of Coke, and it seemed to be working. Coke did what their competitors were doing, taste tests. They put this new flavor up against original Coke and Pepsi, and this newer version of Coke seemed to be coming out on top. Testers were saying they would buy this if it was a Coca-Cola product. Everything seemed to be on track for Coke, except for one thing. In those taste tests, there was a smaller group that hated the new flavor and were angry at the change. These people even went on to say it would make them stop drinking Coke altogether. And so the scene was set for the greatest disaster in soft drink history, at least until Crystal Pepsi showed up, but that's a story for another day. Roberta Gozueta was born on November 18, 1931 in Havana, Cuba. In 1954, he replied to a help-wanted newspaper ad for a job with the Coca-Cola bottler in Cuba. A short time later, he was promoted to chief technical director of five Cuban bottling plants. Then, Fidel Castro rose to power, and Goizueta defected to the United States. At the age of 35, he became vice president of technical research and development. Then, in 1979, he became president of the Coca-Cola company. So, he was in charge during this time and was encouraged by all the surveys and responses to the new flavor Coca-Cola had come up with. It was now 1985, and with the 100th anniversary of the original Coca-Cola around the corner, it seemed like the perfect time to launch this new Coke. But there was one very crucial piece of data everyone seemed to have overlooked. People liked the idea of New Coke being a separate product and not a replacement. And so, New Coke was launched on April 23rd, 1985. There's never been a better taste. There's never been a better Coke. Introducing the greatest taste discovery in a hundred years. Introducing the new taste of Coca-Cola. A taste that is Coke and everything a Coke means. A taste that's very familiar, yet totally new. A taste so good, so real, it couldn't be anything but a Coke. The great new taste of Coke. Watch for it, try it, and enjoy the best tasting Coke ever. And with that, a week later, Coca-Cola stopped making the original formula altogether. In the upcoming weeks, this happened. Area manufacturers were using the original packaging for new Coke before the new packages were made available. 
old cans containing new Coke were identified by their gold-colored tops, while glass and plastic bottles had red caps instead of silver and white, respectively. Bright yellow stickers indicating the change were placed on the cartons of multi-packs. Pepsi had infiltrated a press conference at the Lincoln Center to ask questions in the hopes of throwing off Coca-Cola executives. Roberto Gozueta, Coca-Cola's CEO, described this new flavor as bolder, rounder, and more harmonious, and defended the change and refused to admit the taste tests led to change. Instead, he said it was, quote, one of the easiest decisions we've ever made, unquote. Pepsi was clearly nervous about New Coke gaining market value. That's because the emphasis was on New Coke's sweeter taste, which set the two beverages apart, and also ran contrary to previous Coke advertising. Ready to drink Coca-Cola. Yeah, whenever you pour a Coca-Cola into a glass right then and there, it's ready to drink. Really, unless you want to make it as sweet as, say, Pepsi. If you did, then you'd have to add some sweetener. You'd have to spoon it. You'd have to stir it up, then drink it, because Pepsi's sweeter. See, that's the beauty of Coke. The only thing you have to do to make a perfect Coca-Cola is pour it. Maybe add some ice. Ready to drink Coca-Cola now. Coke is in. Just a year earlier, Coke had released an ad with then-spokesman Bill Cosby, which focused on the less sweet taste as a reason to prefer Coke over Pepsi. Coke even brought in 80s icon Max Headroom to give the new product a modern MTV feel in its launch. Is this a private party or can any store crash? So new Coke is catching on. The taste is better and newer than... You said the P word. So what I want to know is, if you're drinking Coke, who's drinking Pepsi? If you can't beat it, catch the wave. Coke. Despite the sudden change in marketing, the company's stock went up after the announcement. And market research showed 80% of the American public was aware of the change within days. It seemed that market research had been spot on, and surveys showed the majority of people who tried it liked the new taste, and three-quarters of them would buy again. But as you'll soon see, you can't always trust poll results. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations, Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
those who were enjoying New Coke were apparently just keeping it to themselves. Remember, in 1985, there was no internet, blogs, or forums where people could share their likes and dislikes, which might have been a good thing because those who didn't like New Coke hated it, and they were very vocal about it. The loudest were the ones from the South who resented a change to something they held dear and a beverage they grew up on. The Coca-Cola head office is located in Atlanta, Georgia, and soon calls and complaints started rolling in. Soon, they received 40,000 calls and letters. The volume of complaints was so large that the company's hotline was getting 1,500 calls a day from irate customers. It got to the point where Coke hired a psychiatrist to try to analyze the emotions and sentiments in the calls. His conclusions? People were responding the same way they would when discussing the death of a family member. Grief over a beloved soda. The problem was now that the sentiment was spreading to the mainstream. Some notable newspapers, such as the Chicago Tribune, were lambasting Coca-Cola in articles. And then Late Night got a hold of it. Johnny Carson and David Letterman mock new Coke on a nightly basis. If you're under 30, it might be hard to imagine, but there was a time when there were only three networks and nothing else to watch at night on TV. On any given night, one-third of the viewing country was watching one of these channels, meaning anything that was on these shows was seen by a majority of the country. Johnny Carson was especially the most powerful. In fact, in 1973, Carson made a joke about the toilet paper shortage, which led to panic buying and hoarding across the U.S. as people emptied out stores, causing an actual shortage that lasted for weeks. So with that in mind, imagine what it did to New Coke's public perception when Carson and Letterman mocked the company over its new flavor. As petitions were signed against it, somehow the sales, except in the South, were pretty good in the U.S. The worry now became the international markets, and a lot of countries didn't want to bottle and adopt this new Coke. Meanwhile, Pepsi loved Coke's weakened position and took advantage of the situation. They released ads pointing out the ways in which Coke dropped the ball and praised new Pepsi drinkers who made the right choice by avoiding new Coke. The funny thing is that Pepsi didn't actually gain market value. People were more upset by the withdrawal of the old formula than the taste of the new. It really wasn't even the taste that was the issue in this whole debacle. People generally liked it, but nothing makes people panic more than getting used to something and then having it taken away. By June, barely a month after New Coke was introduced, sales started to level off instead of rising. The flavor was even being adjusted by chemists to try to balance things out and not make it as sweet. The company was running into bottling problems, resulting in lawsuits, and the wheels were coming off. The tipping point was when the company president went to a restaurant in Monaco, and the owner proudly said he had original Coca-Cola. He called it the real thing and offered them chilled glass bottles. Under this immense pressure and consumer backlash, Coke executives had no choice but to return to the old formula. 
On July 11th, just 78 days after it was introduced, Coca-Cola executives announced the return of the original formula. I have no recollection of this, maybe you do, but Peter Jennings actually interrupted General Hospital with a special bulletin announcing the news. New Coke stuck around though and continued to be sold as Coca-Cola. In 1992, it actually got renamed Coke 2, if you remember that at all. The original formula was now rebranded as Coca-Cola Classic. Calling it Classic was a nice touch as it helped to reconnect people to the version they kept near and dear to their hearts. The Coca-Cola president had an interesting take on all of this. He pointed out that all the research and data in the world could not reveal the deep emotional attachment that people had for the original Coke. You can't test for that or predict something like that. The company also couldn't predict by the end of that year, Coca-Cola Classic was outselling New Coke and Pepsi by a huge margin. Six months after the change, Coke sales had increased to more than twice the rate of Pepsi. It furthered the gap between Coke and Pepsi as nostalgia drove customers back to Coke. And it cemented Coke as the real cola, and it gave it even more of a significant place in the culture. Coca-Cola Classic existed until 2009, and then the word classic was taken off as a way to give it a bit of a new branding. Coke would go on to use the Red, White, and You campaign that was based around showcasing American virtues. They also went back to the original intent of New Coke, focusing on the youth market that Pepsi had, by again using Max Headroom in their new Catch the Wave promotion. Hi, Max Headroom here with... This is my guest. <laughs> I heard you were big time in the old pop biz. <laughs> well, I'm going to take that as a no comment. So, nitty gritty time. What I'm talking about, and you're not, is that more people prefer the new refreshing taste of Coke over Pepsi. Sweating? It's true. More people are, as we cocologists say, catching the wave. Catch it if you can, can. Catch the wave. Coke. <sighs> Before I leave you today, I would be remiss not to talk about the elephant in the room, the conspiracy theories that came out about this massive blunder by Coke. The main one revolves around Coke intentionally changing the flavor, hoping people would be upset by it and demand a return to the original formula, which would make sales spike. To be fair, this is exactly what happened, but the cost associated with doing this, along with the bad press, makes it a bit of a reach. When questioned whether this was the intent of the entire campaign, Coca-Cola president Don Keogh replied, quote, We are not that dumb and we are not that smart, unquote. The second is that the switch was planned all along to cover the sweetness change from regular sugar to the super cheap high fructose corn syrup. This could be true, but again, at what cost? The third is that Coke needed to get rid of any connection to coca and cocaine. The DEA was basically trying to get rid of the plant worldwide and new Coke would contain no coca leaves. This, in turn, would please the DEA and essentially Coke would not have to deal with them again. I think we can all agree that this one feels far-fetched, right? The last one is that Coke wanted to ultimately reveal Pepsi as insignificant to pop culture. 
The hope was that even if people were not buying new Coke, there was a goal to have them not buy Pepsi and cut into their market share. Although this happened, most experts believe that new Coke was really just a massive marketing blunder. It's one that continues to be studied today because the big takeaway is that companies, regardless of size, need to be very careful about messing with an established product. At its core, the story of New Coke is about the power of nostalgia and the things we hold most dear, even if it's just a can of carbonated sugar water. This is one of the definitive, you don't know what you've got till it's gone scenarios, and it showed how loyal people are to the things they love. Again, this is something that can't be measured or tested in focus groups. Big companies like Coca-Cola have always sold a feeling more than the product itself, and even they underestimated how strong this feeling really was. The Coca-Cola company got very lucky, and that's why New Coke is a definitive part of everything 80s. Thank you so much for listening. If this is your first time checking us out and you like what you heard, please jump back in the DeLorean and head back. There's a ton of other great episodes for you to sink your teeth into. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a five-star rating and review to help other people find these amazing stories. Everything 80s is written and produced by me, Jamie Logie, with producer Dila Velasquez. Audio design and production by Rob Johnson. And if you're in a position to support the show, you can consider joining Patreon.com. That's the platform to get access to bonus audio content. So to learn more, you can head to Patreon.com slash 80s. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash 80S. Or you can find a link in the show notes. Until next time, I'm Jamie Logie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.